Hello and welcome to the Citizen Abroad, a Manchester City football podcast. I'm your host, Tim Crean. I'm coming to you from just outside New York City, 3,299 miles from the Etihad Stadium. Hello and Happy New Year, everybody. Happy 2020. I know it's been uh, quite a while now since the last podcast. Apologies for that. I know this is a, uh, a very interesting city season with a lot going on. Unfortunately, I have not been able to keep the podcast as regular as I would like. Uh, you know, no promises here. I'm going to try to make it uh, back to more regular schedule going forward. But uh, I've said that in, in recent past and not been able to... Uh, to kind of keep to that, so uh, I'm just going to go ahead and, and try to do the best I can here, keeping this coming out because I still really enjoy doing it. You know, as a one man show, unfortunately, it gets difficult at times. Life gets in the way, and uh, not able to uh, be as regular as I like. The fixture, the holiday festive period, not only hectic uh, with a lot of let's call it fixture pileup for city, but uh, fixture pileup here, just uh, 3,000 miles from the Etihad Stadium as well. So. Hopefully that'll have cleared up a little bit and this will be more regular. But for now, uh, we have today's podcast and we will see where we go from there. But thank you for everyone checked in, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Good to hear from you and uh, still here, still watching the game, still talking city uh, for as long as I can. So we will get uh, to the most recent one nothing uh, victory over Sheffield United midweek here. With a big FA Cup match against Fulham coming up early on Sunday morning, uh, the 26th here. And then midweek, of course, the Carabao Cup second leg clash against United where uh, City should be able to punch their ticket to the next round. So we have a lot to talk about. Uh, we're just going to go uh, some some little 10,000-foot uh, overview now since uh, we haven't spoken in a while about what's going on with City. We won't drill down too hard. Uh, on the Sheffield game, even though we will talk about a lot of stuff that happened uh, throughout it. And then uh, we will go from there. So, as always, lots to talk about. Here we go. As the pod comes back in 2020, I figured we'd go back to a kind of old segment, an old trope uh, that I used to like to do quite a bit in the past and just give out my city likes and dislikes. Um, We will talk, uh, we will kind of couch them in a way to talk about the Sheffield United match, the the late one nothing victory, but uh, it will also get to some, uh, some broader points about what's going on with city right now. So to start off, I think we want to go with likes. Let's start on a nice foot to open the, the 2020 podcast season here. Um, and there are some things that I liked and I really like that you can take away from that Sheffield United match. Uh, the first thing is just the fighting spirit of City. Uh, City has had a, a rough run at, you know, this entire year, really. They uh, are out of it for the Premier League trophy. And yes, unlike Kyle Walker, I do believe they are fully out of it. Uh, the, the amount that uh, Liverpool would have to slip up to let City back in just doesn't seem realistic to me. And that's okay. I mean, you know, two, two, the, the last two years, City walked away with the title. And, and so if they don't do it this year, I think that's okay. And, and as Pep says, the eye is towards everyone because uh, then that's the goal once again next year is to win the Premier League. So the way you look at it is 
Although City had a rough run, they are still fighting in the Premier League. And look, you know, they have cups to think about. They have uh, the Champions League to think about. And with that, it would be understandable if on a random, what it was, Tuesday evening in Sheffield, you're not really feeling up to fighting till the bitter end. They they played you hard. Just walking out of there with a draw would be uh, with a lot of teams, I think, who who don't quite have the mental fortitude and toughness and uh, the, the coach cracking the whip uh, like uh, City does with Pep and, and their kind of uh, mentality around the game. It's easy to give up on that and easy to walk away with a nil-nil draw and, and say, you know, live to fight another day. But City didn't. They kept fighting. Uh, a lot was not going right. They didn't look particularly good in a lot of aspects throughout this game. And they kept going. De Bruyne kept going. Aguero came in to keep pushing the team forward. And that was just an amazing pass to uh, Aguero, who, you know, yes, Aguero basically just put his foot out and it found the back of the net because of the pass was so spot on for De Bruyne. But don't discount what it means for Aguero to be in that spot, in that time, ready to and able to receive that pass. I mean, that is something that is just so elemental to a great striker, but that so many people can't figure out. A guy like Gabby Jesus is still trying to figure out I think he has a little bit of an instinct for it too, like uh, like I would say Aguero does, but but not to that level. And so good on Aguero for being in the right spot at the right time, but man, what a pass for De Bruyne. And that's just another thing I like is, is in this season where City is not kind of uh, demonstrating the class they've demonstrated the last two seasons. Uh, De Bruyne, I mean, not he didn't demonstrate the last two seasons because he was out the majority of last season. But De Bruyne is is right back to uh, the king of the world as far as uh, you know creative midfielders. He is a complete midfielder. He is on the break. He is incredible. Uh, his passing is just spot on. I mean, look, there's some things overall we'll get to in the dislikes that, that Kevin De Bruyne is a part of that I'm not loving in the City game right now. But for the most part, you know what he does and, and the the creative force that he is in the midfield is really second to none in the world. And, and again, I you know. As far as a creative midfielder, I would take him over anyone in the world because he's just absolutely fantastic. So again, as a City fan, just really great to watch. I mean, we've had the pleasure of watching some all-time greats uh, in the last few years, you know, in the last decade or so. Uh, Vincent Company, Sergio Aguero, David Silva, Yaya Torre, and, uh, and of course, Kevin De Bruyne is quickly etching his name among the greats of City and uh, the greats of football, all told, so... Really nice to see that. Also great to see Omerick Laporte back from injury. It is absolutely fantastic to have Laporte back. Uh, of course, we'll get into City's defensive struggles in the dislike section. But, uh, you know, a big reason that City is where they are, not challenging for the Premier League title, is because the defense has been so bad, and, and part of that is Laporte being out. I say part of it because it's not entirely Laporte being out. Um, if if Laporte was not out, I mean, his defensive partner would still be Stones or Otamendi or Fernandinho or very young Eric Garcia this year. So it's, it's not to say that his going out was the only thing they, the only reason they struggled. I mean, I think City made a massive mistake in, in not replacing Vincent Company. But the fact he's back can be seen, of course, only as a positive, only as something that is great for City, great for the defense, great for Ederson. And, uh, you know, with him back, they kept their first clean sheet since uh, early December, I believe. Basically, the last time they played Sheffield United in mid-December, I guess you'd call it. 
Uh, but they they went a long time without a clean sheet. Of course, they're playing a, a team that isn't known for their scoring acumen, but uh, they they kept a clean sheet for the first time in about a month, and that is something that uh, that, that should be uh, heralded. And that you think that that Laporte has a big part in. I mean, he he went down early in that match, a really bad tackle, and man, I, you know, I'm like, this can't be happening. A little bit reminiscent of uh, of the Bruyne last year who came back, would get hurt, would go out, and, and couldn't really keep healthy. You'd hope that didn't happen to Laporte, but he popped up, and, and he played the majority of the rest of the game. So good on him. It looks like he is back for good. Hopefully he can avoid uh, some of those dirty tackles. But other than that, I think Laporte we will hopefully see for the rest of the season. A couple more things that uh, that you see um, just in general with City. Uh, you know, young guys since the last podcast here over the course of the last month, I've been getting more burn, which is awesome. You want to get those young guys on the field. Again, I've said this before. It is all to drive traffic towards winning the Champions League. You need to, in order to win the Champions League, develop as many of these players as you can. So you have as many options against all these different teams, all these different styles you're going to see in the knockout rounds of the Champions League. And the fact that they're getting Garcia up. Garcia was the one who actually came in for Laporte. And then uh, Foden's been starting and playing quite a bit too. So... Really great for them that uh, they're getting it. And, you know, also the, the last thing I'll say I like uh, with what City's doing right now is the formational flexibility. I think, uh, you know, around the holidays and stuff or, or right before that, when, when City kind of lost its grip on the on the Premier League, uh, part of it was they were just sticking to that same 4-3-3 and it wasn't, it wasn't producing results like it had in the last two years. Part of that is, uh, you know, personnel, tactics-wise, you know, Pep hasn't had uh, kind of the players to play some of these other formations that he likes to do over the course of the last two years. But again, same thing with the youth. It comes down to Champions League now. This is how you prioritize Champions League is by giving yourself, practicing as many options as possible to, uh, to, to, do, to throw new formations, to throw new players, to just throw little wrinkles at these European teams who think may think, yeah, have you scouted, but uh, you can throw a little something different at them. Or if you play a team in the Premier League like they have the last couple of years, who you see all the time, then uh, you know you can throw something different at it as well. So against Sheffield, a few other times in the past couple of weeks, City has uh, gone with a three-man back line, which has been really interesting. I like uh, Walker on the wing, and, and you know it was Zinchenko this time, but it's Mendy over there a lot of times. So again, another reason why you wish there was a, a little more center back talent to have a, a three-man back like that. And I've said it before, you know, I wouldn't mind putting Cancelo on the far wing and uh, and having Walker play as a, as a third center back as well. I think he's he's shown in his time with England he can do that. But uh, overall, I think that uh, it's really good with this three-man back, what they're doing and how, they are, uh, how, how they're trying to do some new things with an eye towards Champions League. So that's it. That's my likes. The fighting spirit, Laporte being back, young guys getting more burn, formation flexibility. And then, of course, uh, Kevin De Bruyne doing his thing. So I guess now that means it is time to move on to the dislikes. Uh, it looks like the list is slightly longer, but uh, maybe it's not because a couple of these things are kind of grouped together. So uh, without further ado, here are the likes or here are the dislikes for City versus Sheffield and the City in general. <laughs> The first thing I dislike about what is going on with City right now is Raheem Sterling struggling. Sterling can't seem to buy a bucket at this point. Just uh, when he 
gets chances. He's flubbing them. He's hitting them right at the keeper. He is uh, putting them wide or, or above the net. Just He just can't seem to uh, get it together. Now, this isn't a long-term problem. This is only over the course of the last couple of weeks. And that happens to every player, every great player, every big-time scorer. They go through cold stretches. But um, it, it's a bummer to see Sterling struggle like that. Uh, you see people on social media. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter, at Citizen Podcast, C-I-T-Y-Z-E-N Podcast. You, you can... Tell people on social media who don't want to start Sterling anymore, who don't, uh, who think that he's a, a problem now, a liability. That's all just not true. You, when you you know when you look at Sterling, there's I think there's two kind of things you can look at that is a problem for them. One maybe is a problem just because of the timing of what's going on with his struggles, and then the other is definitely a problem. But the first problem is is he missing Arteta? I mean, you look at uh, you, when you read all the stories and, and, and kind of. Uh, think about Sterling's ascent from you know promising talent to international superstar. A lot of his success, obviously, has been credited to Pep Guardiola, uh, but he's also credited a lot to Michael Arteta. Uh, Mikel Arteta has uh, really took him under his wing. He's helped him. I think he's helped him through some of the mental side of the game, and uh, I think he was a big influence on Sterling from everything you you read and hear. So. The fact that Arteta has um, taken the job at Arsenal, which, you know, well-deserved, very good. I think Arteta will be very good for them long-term. Uh, he was ultimately kind of my hope that he would take over from Guardiola uh, when he when he decides to leave the city fold, hopefully many, many years in the future, uh, but unfortunately probably a little quicker than that. Uh, but yeah, Arteta going to Arsenal is, uh, congratulations to him, he deserves it. And I think that will serve Arsenal well uh, in the future. Now, but how much of that, because you look at the timing of that, and that's kind of corresponded with a lot of Sterling struggle here. So how much does Arteta leaving play into Sterling struggling? You know, Sterling is not um, you know, fragile. He's not fragile uh, mentally, I wouldn't say. That's a bad word for it. But I think um, he's like susceptible to to mental tweaks, you know? Like I think that when things are clicking well, everything's going right. Like he's really in a good headspace. And I think when things start, when the ball starts rolling downhill, he can get off kilter a little bit. And having his, uh, you know, his, his trusted kind of assistant coach there leave is something that could have thrown him off a little bit. So that's one thing. The other thing about Sterling uh, that is definitely hurting him is that. He is missing Sané, and, and I'm missing Sané. I mean, this is another uh, one of my dislikes. I, I really hate that they don't have Sané right now. But, you know, Sané takes a lot of pressure, uh, attacking pressure, off of Sterling. Sané is so uh, fast and strong and physically gifted and scary to defenders that he puts defenders back on their back heel and creates more space for everyone else, especially uh, Raheem Sterling. And so... Without that, when you when you are across from uh, Mares, who's a lot less physically imposing and likes to float, uh, kind of to the ball more than attack, and, or a guy like uh, Bernardo Silva who does attack but not in the same way as Silva, in more of a kind of flitting ball control way uh, that he does, I, I think that that's where Sterling doesn't have the the leeway, the kind of room to maneuver that he has in the past couple of years. And I think that that tighter restriction on him is really something that uh, he's struggling with. I mean, he has to be kind of the main aggressive attacking force in these matches from the wing because he doesn't have a counterpoint on the other side 
who can also attack. So, you know, you look at what's going on uh, from a from a personnel standpoint, and without Sané there, I mean, the whole team is is less willing to attack. And and again, that's you know partially because the defense is tighter on them, further away from the net, because they're not they're not they don't have the fear of Leroy Sané getting the ball and, and attacking them from the wing. So I think that would, that's hurt City in general, and especially Sterling. So. Look, there is news now that that Sané is going to rejoin training uh, sometime this week uh, ahead of the uh, the Manchester United match here. And does that mean he could be back? Who knows? I mean, I think that after what happened with his transfer issues and getting hurt on the uh, possible eve of a transfer to Bayern Munich, uh, I, I'm guessing they and hoping they won't rush him back. Um, I think that would be a bad look, but... You know, if he's ready to play, I, I think that you got to get him in there, and that would be a huge boost for City. Um, you know, I obviously don't think he leaves in January now with the January transfer window um, going down. I I think that he does ultimately leave, which I think is going to be a big loss for City. But uh, and I don't want—I would love for him to stay, but I think he is going to to, to head back to Germany uh, in the summer. But man, if you could get the last uh, few months of the season out of him. I think it would really change the dynamic of the city offense and and change how they play, and I think that would be a huge thing. So something to keep an eye on, Leroy Sané, uh, slowly but surely making his way back to form. And man, if he can get healthy and fit and ready to play before the end of the season, a huge boon for City. Now, the reason, the other reason that there would be a huge boon for City is because he would change the way they are currently playing. Which to me is frankly they just them being lazy in the final third. It is a problem. I and mean, I talked about the cross statistics that a listener sent in the article from NBC Sports and how they were just dominating the Premier League and high crosses uh, and how ineffective they were at it. And it just continues. You look and and, it's, and look. Part of it again is defenses are playing them different because they don't have the the attacking fear in them. They do when Leroy Sané's out there, but. You know, they, they just loft the ball into nobody, into tiny guys who are not equipped to go up and win a battle. And it's just such a waste of possession. I mean, City takes so much um, care of possession and effort to keep possession in the middle third of the field. Then they get into the final third and are just super lazy with their balls. It, it's it's frustrating to watch. And, and, you know, they go through spurts where they stop and it looks really good and they score more goals and then they go right back to it. And, you know, they put in, especially against teams like this that pack it in a little more and, and play a little more defensively uh, against City, they just settle for this all the time. And it's frustrating. I mean, you see Phil Foden gives them a little more attacking thrust, which is good. So you want to see him uh, out there as much as possible. But it, it really is a, a problem that City needs to deal with. And if they don't get any different personnel in to kind of help in that respect, it needs to be a systematic change to help them uh, get away from that. because And it's not just the crosses. It's the, it's the hero ball kind of passes, too. The you know Kevin De Bruyne is a little bit guilty of this, but, but the least guilty of anybody because, of course, uh, he literally is a hero and, and can put crazy passes on the foot of someone from way across field. And, but it, you just see everyone's trying to make the perfect cross field or you know long looping entry pass to a, to a breaking player. And you know, most times those balls, those highlight reel balls get broken up because they're not high percentage passes. And so when you see those hero ball passes and you see these teams easily taking them, 
again, it's just another time when you see a game when City has 65, 70, 75% possession and the same amount of shots or less shots or, you know, bad shots on target uh, numbers. It, it, it's a, it is a symptom of these kind of things, the lazy final third crosses and the hero ball passes. And so, frankly, until you see that cleaned up uh, on a regular basis, I don't know. I don't know what city is going to be able to accomplish this year. Um, I think that the Carabao Cup is, you know, definitely low hanging fruit at this point, and something the city should win. The FA Cup will be there too, even though there could be uh, some stiffer competition down the line here after they deal with Fulham uh, on the weekend. But uh, you know, the Champions League, if they, if they play like this against the top clubs in Europe, there is no chance, just no chance, that they are going to win the uh, the Champions League. So something to keep in mind when you watch, and hopefully that schematically or or just mentality wise, Pep can fix that because uh, it's not going to get City where they need to go. All right, just a couple of quick more things that I do not like about what's going on with City right now. Uh, the penalties. The penalty situation is not great. Gabriel Jesus missed another one because he was on the pitch and Aguero was out. Uh, Pep said he was going to be reevaluating the situation and uh, and who takes the penalties. I think that's a good idea. Uh, I, you know, Sterling uh, had missed uh, two penalties, I believe, is earlier in the year, you know, end of last year. Uh, I don't know if he's the guy with his uh, kind of mentality. I don't think he is necessarily the penalty issue. You know, everyone everyone said it on social media, and then Pep kind of acknowledged it after the game, which is funny that really outside of Aguero, their best penalty taker is probably Ederson. Uh, it's probably not realistic to have Ederson run down and take uh, all the penalties. But, man, that would be A, be pretty cool, and B, be really solid. I mean, he is a guy with nerves of steel. He's a very uh, he's very good with the ball at his feet. He, he's a legitimate option. So, Maybe at some at one point this season, Pep will, uh, Pep will do that. It's kind of like like throwing the pass to the tackle uh, in the end zone in in, in, fo- in National Football League, like you saw in the uh, who was it the Kansas uh, the Titans did it against the Kansas City Chiefs in the uh, in the conference finals here. But it would be interesting to see uh, to see that happen for Ederson to come down and take a penalty. But until then, he said he's reevaluating his penalty takers, and I think that's right. I mean, I think Aguero stays. Aguero is your number one penalty taker when he is on the pitch. But when he's not, I think I really think, and you know, a lot of people said this uh, as well as I did, uh, that Kevin De Bruyne I think needs to be considered to take penalties. I know Gundogan has taken penalties in the past; he wasn't on the pitch either. But uh, that makes me a little more nervous. I think Kevin De Bruyne is the answer. Um, you look at Mares; I think he missed a penalty uh, earlier in the year, a big one against Liverpool, of course. And then when you look at uh, any of the other options, I don't think Rodri's an option. I think Phil Foden's too young. Although uh, I think in time he could be ready. David Silva probably isn't the best. And then you get into the defend, more defensive guys. So it, it seems to me like Kevin De Bruyne is the default option. And, you know, even if that's not his specialty, I think he's a guy who could definitely do it. I mean, you know, one thing you worry about is, you know, when, when De Bruyne does have a lot of time to kind of wind up and try to be very accurate, he, and this was a problem really uh, Pep's first season at City in the, what, 16, 17 season, you saw it quite a bit, is, De Bruyne hit a lot of posts uh, because I think he's he's so accurate that, you know, when you aim for the post to try to get it in the top corner and actually hit the post, uh, most people don't have that problem because they're not that accurate, but uh, but he does. So something you worry about a little, but, you know, he's tricky enough. He's clever. 
he's the one who, who loves to do those kind of under the wall things. He scored two, maybe three goals like that over the course of the last three years uh, as a free kick taker. So I think De Bruyne is should be the second choice option. Hopefully uh, Pep will see it that way as well as he evaluates who that person should be. The last kind of on the field dislike I have is just the defense still getting smoked by below average teams. Uh, you saw it against Crystal Palace. You saw it against Sheffield United. Um, these lower level teams are just not scared to attack City anymore. I mean, yes, they're still respectful of the counter, uh, not quite as respectful as as they once were, but they're still a little uh, scared of that. But they, they go and they attack City because they know that the defense is incredibly vulnerable. And so when you see uh, you know an only a one nothing victory at Sheffield, when you see them a two two draw at Palace, uh, you know when when you see some of these results. Uh, you know, the you can go back to the end of the last year with the loss to Wolves. The the defense is not scary, and the, once Laporte's back, yes, that that solidifies it a little bit. Hopefully, that also brings the level of uh, of company and Stones up a little more. I mean, Stones, and I've always built myself as a Stones apologist throughout the year. I don't think that uh, I've kind of lost that title a little bit. Because even I am not quite as, as high on stones as I used to be. But without a personnel, again, this comes down to the same issue with, with Sané, with the crosses, with the penalties. Without a, a personnel change, the issue just keeps becoming you are not going to, uh, you know, there, there's no one on the squad to fix some of these problems. And if you keep running out Fernandinho, who tries his best, but is not a a defensive, uh, a center, a center back. It, and your Otamendi, who is just awful. I mean, there was, you know, there was a, a, a play where I think Walker made a great recovery against Sheffield, stopped the ball, and they had to pull it out. And then Otamendi went flying out there like a, uh, like a mascot at a hockey game, uh, trying to attack, trying to attack the, uh, the, the the Sheffield player and just kind of fell down doing it and I mean I'm laughing to myself because it was just so perfectly Otamendi it was so ridiculous so stupid so unnecessary that you're just like oh man what are you gonna do and, and don't forget Otamendi gave away a penalty in that game with a terrible tackle inside the box and, and I don't mean like a, a sliding tackle with his foot like he literally dragged the guy down like an NFL linebacker and then, you know, the guy was offside, so he didn't get a penalty. But he didn't know that. I mean, he was real close to making it one nothing Sheffield. And, uh, and again, having another nightmare scenario like City has had in the past against teams like this. So, Otamendi, you're not going to change. Stones just can't seem to break through and, and come through with consistent, positive performances. So, without bringing someone else in, I just don't know uh, what you do for City. And... You know, that brings me to my last uh, dislike is the transfer policy, specifically the January transfer policy. Uh, City looks like they're going to be inactive once again, something that many fans like myself didn't totally believe would be true, but it looks like they are really holding to it. Uh, There looks to be one uh, small outgoing move. Uh, Ian Carlo Poveda, the young midfielder wing type player, uh, is going to be off to Leeds which I think is a fantastic uh, idea. Get him more playing time. I think he is definitely uh, one with a, with a big potential for the future. So I think that's awesome. And then, you know, following that, there, is, there was rumors of uh, 
Napoli's Kobobali, uh having getting interest from City, but of course he's getting interest from everyone. And now it seems like uh, Napoli's not interested in giving him up until the summer. The big one, the one that I find most interesting is that uh, there is a uh, a young 20-year-old center back, 6'3 center back from uh, who plays currently at uh, Inter, Inter Milan in Italy. And his name is Alessandro Bastoni. He is uh, right now starting for uh, Antonio Conte and his Inter Milan side. And he is keeping, uh, you know, former Atletico Madrid, Uruguay center back star Diego Godin off the field. They brought in Godin to, 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 to solidify the defense. And he can't even get on the pitch right now because Alessandro Bastoni has been playing so well. So there are rumors that City actually offered uh, not only money, but they offered a swap of Jao Cancelo uh, to Inter to, 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 to take the 20-year-old off their hands. And that Conte, uh, Conte won't hear of it. Conte is a guy who you know thinks that they can challenge Juventus for the title and wants to keep this kid on hand because he is that talented. So, uh, you know, I've said this a lot. If a guy like this seems so promising, I mean, you know, Italy obviously just brings up memories of Gigi Buffon uh, when, or excuse me, I say Gigi Buffon, Gigi Donnarumma uh, when City was chasing. They ultimately ended up with Ederson. But uh, when they were looking for a young keeper, you think of a guy like Gigi Donnarumma, who they could have just kind of blown other clubs out of the water for and didn't. You hope you see City do that at some point. They they have to go after their guy and get their man by just blowing other clubs, you know, making a, a godfather offer that this can't be refused. But we'll see. I mean, it looks like, um, you know, this, this kid with a ton of promise. And I mean, you know, think about doing a three-man rotation of him, uh, of Laporte, Garcia and uh, Bastoni. If Bastoni is uh, is the guy that you go up for, if you have Garcia and Bastoni as your back line for the next 10, 15 years, holy cow. I mean, this kid is the real deal. He has a lot of promise. He is physical. He is uh, good with the ball at his feet. He has a lot of the skills that Pep looks for in a defender. And hopefully, you know, City can, if City did anything this transfer window, that would just make me stand up and applaud if they went hard after this kid and, and brought him to the Eddie head. I mean, he's already playing at top-level competition, starting for Inter Milan in Serie A. So I think he could really uh, be a welcome addition to City. So a player to keep an eye on, 20-year-old Alessandro Bastoni. Um, You know, one other small rumor. uh, um, It's interesting. uh, It sounds like City is also interested in another Inter player, Inter Milan player, uh, striker Lautaro Martinez. Um, But I don't think... uh, it doesn't seem like something that uh, that Pep would do in January here. So, something to think about. Hopefully, that the hopefully City uh, dips their toe into the January transfer window and, and really uh, does something to refresh the team. Because you know, not only from a tactical standpoint, from an X's and O's, I feel like uh, you know this basically has been the same team that's been in place for the last couple of years. And bringing in a little new blood uh, mid-season. Could, could I think really uh, freshen this team up and add a little more competition, add a little more drive, a little more urgency to the team. So it's something you'd really like to see, uh, and hopefully they they can do it. Even though I do not have high hopes for it in this particular January, and I do think that part of that is because uh, City does, and Pep Guardiola specifically is kind of eyeing a little bit of a not a massive overhaul in the off season, but a but a significant one. I think the summer will. Uh, We'll see a lot of players in and out. So uh, 
Maybe that's why they are not so worried about January. But fingers crossed, there are still uh, a few more days, just over a week left for them to get some business done. All right, that is it. That is uh, the triumphant return to the 2020 uh, Citizen Abroad podcasting field here. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Hopefully I remembered how to do this and uh, and you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, if you didn't, let me know what you think. Um, email citizenabroad at gmail.com. And then, of course, the uh, Twitter, Citizen uh, Podcast, at Citizen Podcast, C-I-T-Y-Z-E-N Podcast. Get the podcast wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Play, Player FM, Podbean, all those great places. And, of course, uh, if you do listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. I will shout you out on the podcast if you do. And, uh, you know, once again, just thank you, everyone, for uh, your patience here. Again, this is something that I really enjoy doing, and I think uh, I'm hoping that uh, time permits a little more uh, as we get into the new year here after a uh, a busy holiday time. So the plan is to keep going, and uh, just a little plug here. I will be a guest tomorrow. Not sure if it'll come out tomorrow or on Friday, but on the the I Believe US MNT pod. It is a U.S. men's national team podcast. It is a very good podcast if you're interested in the U.S. men's national team. And we're going to talk about some city-related things, some U.S. Uh, men's national team-related things. So uh, tune into that as well, the I Believe U.S. MNT podcast. All right, so that's it. Thank you uh, for coming back in 2020 to listen. I will uh, talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.